It's a burden going through natural, natural disasters. It's, it's a burden that takes months and months and months to go through. And sometimes the people that actually come make a huge difference. But every time the people that come, they do a lot for the heart. They do a lot for the, for, for the uh, attitude and the, the emotion that just builds that stamina to say, we can get through this. And uh, so we look forward to seeing our, the good that our young people will do as they will represent uh, the Lord's kingdom uh, this coming weekend. It's interesting to me when you talk with individuals that for the first time in their life, they've just started reading the Bible. You've had those talks with individuals. And when I say this, you're going to smile because you've had this very same talk. I don't know how many times I've had that talk with someone that they've just started reading the Bible and they're excited about it. And then they'll say one of two things. They'll say, yeah, it's a big book. I just picked it up and and I opened up the front cover and I just figured I'd start at the book of Genesis. That, That was the first book. And I'm just going to read all the way through it. If they don't say that, the other thing they say is, I've just started reading the Bible and I've always heard about the book of Revelation. That's an intriguing book. I think I'm going to start there. Now, what do you say when someone says either one of those things to you? Most of us have the very same answer. And isn't it interesting that nobody's trained us to have this answer? It's just a natural answer. And that is, that hey, every book in the Bible is a great book. But if I were starting reading the Bible, there would be a book that I'd want to start with. And it would be the Gospel of John. How many thousands of times has that been said to someone who is a first-time reader of the Word of God? Why? Why? Why is that the choice book, if you will? Because it's a book that is written in an attractive format that draws the reader in to the excitement about the life of Jesus Christ. But it goes so much further than just excitement. It's a book that tells so much about the fundamental principles that you and I need to know. To do what? You were here this morning. You know what it is. So that we can believe and live. If you had one shot to give somebody one study... What would you want to be accomplished in that study? I want you to know the Lord. And I want you to have a belief in the Lord that brings you to eternal life. If you can believe and live, you are successful. You'll never accomplish anything of greater importance in your life if you know Jesus Christ and believe in Him and have eternal life. But did you notice? When we look at the book, the Gospel of John... There's something interesting about the way that it's laid out being a gospel, but not a synoptic gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. On this next slide, it's not laid out like a, an outline, but uh, a timeline, but yet you could kind of think about it in, in the form of a timeline. And I want to go ahead and tell you, I'm not trying to make more out of this than what I'm about to say, so I invite you not to make more out of this than what I'm about to say. It's just an interesting observation. If we were to go back to uh, zero, year one, Jesus was born. 30 years, he began his public ministry at that mark. So for 30 to 33 or 33 and a half years, so we have that three and a half years of his public ministry. We have his crucifixion, we have his resurrection, we have him ascending into heaven and we have the church beginning. And shortly after that, we have books of the Bible, of the New Testament being written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
are records of what happened in the life of Jesus. Just like if someone said, hey, will will you get out a piece of paper and a pencil and will you write me kind of like a history of, of what's happened over the last few years? Sure, I'll write that down for you. But then the Holy Spirit has the Apostle John to do something that's much later. As a matter of fact, it's probably 30 years. Think about this timeline. It is 30 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written. 30 years after their writing, not after Jesus, after their writing, the Gospel of John is written. And it's obvious, it's not simply a record. It's more of a book that is to prove that what has been written is true and what we know that Jesus revealed himself to be is actually true. In other words, John in his writing seems to place a lot more effort on saying, I want to prove to you that what I believe about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ said we should believe about him is true. And I'm going to write you a gospel. I'm going to write you a a record of his life. And I'm only going to choose the things that proves to you that you can believe and have life. Now, I know we read this this morning, but to begin this study, I want to invite you back to that passage there in John, the 20th chapter. And look again at verse 30 and 31. We heavily developed verse 31 earlier today. And and I'd like for us to just tie together 30 and the first part of 31. This morning, we concentrated primarily on the words believe and live. Believe and live. Tonight, I want us to concentrate primarily on the words of signs and writings. Signs and writings. Look at verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John makes it very clear. I'm not recording everything that Jesus did. As a matter of fact, we could pick out a lot of other signs that Jesus did. But the reason I'm picking out for you, which by the way is going to be seven signs that are recorded in the Gospel of John. The reason I'm picking out these seven signs is because these are the seven signs that I would pick out if I wanted to prove to someone that you can believe and have life in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we know there were a lot of other signs. Look, if you will, the very last verse in the Gospel of John is the 21st chapter, and look at verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. How many signs and miracles did Jesus do? You know that we don't know that. We know that there are, if we have an accurate count, there are 37 miracles recorded in the Bible that Jesus did. John chose seven of those. Now, a little interesting tidbit of knowledge. Out of the seven that he chose, there are two that are also in the Synoptic Gospels, but five of the signs that he chose are not recorded anywhere else in the Word of God. So he really did take the time 
no doubt inspired also by the Holy Spirit, to pull out the signs and the wonders that would prove Jesus. Now, let's also take one moment to mention uh, something that, that we're speaking at this point in time as if everyone would know, and, and most of you would probably, but to make sure that we're all aware of this, John chose to use the word. In other words, it's not just in English translations. It's back to the original language. John chose to use, instead of the words miracle and wonders, John chose purposefully to use the word sign. What is a sign? You and I, are, we're very uh, familiar with signs all around us. We use them all day long to either guide us in somewhere like an open sign or to guide us out of somewhere like an exit sign or to stay away from something like a caution or, or to tell us to stop or to tell us to go. We're accustomed to signs. As a matter of fact, we're so accustomed to those kind of signs that we could read the Gospel of John and maybe not really let it dawn on us how important it is that this word sign is used because those signs like you see on the screen is not the type of signs that he's talking about in the Gospel John. But instead, when we look at John the fifth chapter, in John the fifth chapter in verse 36, we get an idea of how this word is used in the Gospels. Look in John the fifth chapter in verse 36, and he says, this is Jesus speaking here, and he says, but I have a greater witness than John's. And he's talking about John the Baptist there. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, I have a greater witness than John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish... The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now I realize in that verse the word sign was not used. But that is the principle, if you will, behind why he uses the word sign about his works. In other words, he did not perform miracles so everybody could say, Well, would you look at that? That man can walk on water. You know, I've shared with you before, hadn't you, the time where... I believe it was Don Vickers and Brother Albert England in the old auditorium. They were taking out the baptistry, but I didn't realize that's what they were doing. And they'd already laid a piece of plywood on top of it. And I come walking through the old auditorium and I see them just walking across the top of the baptistry. That was a second look moment. Let me tell you, I knew they were good men, but I never expected them to be able to walk on water. Well, well you, you see... There were men and women and boys and girls that they saw Jesus' miracles. But yet, even when they were watching the miracles, Jesus wasn't saying, Hey, did you see that? Wasn't that a great act? Just one little lunch and I fed 5,000 people? Hey, did everybody get that? Can you go home and tell your folks about that? Tell your neighbors about that? It was never about, Wow, did you see that miracle? They were all signs. We just read it right here. They were signs. They were works. So individuals would say, I really believe that God the Father has sent this man to earth. He can't just be a man. He has to be of God. That's what Nicodemus said. So what are the signs? I want us to flip through our pages tonight. And I want us to simply see these seven signs. And you know in the time that we have left, we can't study those signs. If they intrigue you... We've all made a deal, right? We're all going to read the Gospel of John this month. That would be reading Monday through Friday, one chapter a day. So 
That's one reason why I'm preaching this style of sermon tonight, kind of giving more of an overlay. And we'll come back over the next few weeks and do some of those overlays because I'm hoping that all of us are going to take some time this month to read through John. And as we do, if we do some of these studies, as you move from one chapter to another, there will be those moments where you say, I see how this all fits together. I see how the emphasis is being placed upon Let's see Jesus. Let's see the signs and the wonders that he did that reveals to us you can believe in him. You can have life in him because he truly is of God. That's what we've preached all day long, this morning and tonight on. And so let's flip through some of these. Let's look at the first sign that we have recorded of Jesus. It's John, the second chapter, and it's verses 1 through 11. And this is the story of the water being turned to wine. You remember that he's at the wedding and they run out of wine and, and his mother invites him or pretty much tells him he needs to do something about this and he begins to protest at least it sounds like protest in verse 4 when he says my hour has not yet come but then when he takes in verse 6 and tells the servants what to do there were six pots there they each held 20 to 30 gallons he tells them in seven to fill the water the pots with water And they did that. And let's begin reading at verse 9. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servant who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs... Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and, and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Isn't that interesting how immediately the first miracle is recorded and immediately he says, now you understand why I'm recording this miracle. No man could do what we just read unless that man was the Creator. You see, it would be a big deal for you and I to turn water into wine. But if you're the Creator, the one who made water in the first place, you made grapes in the first place, you're the one that said, let there be light, you're the one that had His hand in all of the creation of the world and all the beings of the world, then it's not so hard to believe that that individual could come to this earth and take on flesh and also turn water into wine. You see, this wasn't a miracle just to say, wow, that's amazing that the water has been turned to wine. That's a miracle to wake people up, to reveal to them, to open their eyes, to say, this is the creator with us here on this earth. Remember, that's how we studied this morning, beginning of John 1 and verse 3. Let's look at the second miracle. Flip over a page to John, the fourth chapter. It's a long chapter, and we see in verse 46 of John, the fourth chapter, a healing of the nobleman's son. And we see that this individual, uh, Jesus, had come back into Cana of Galilee where he'd worked his first miracle, and this individual had come out and asked Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus makes the comment in verse 48, Jesus said to them, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. See, Jesus was aware of the fact that he was going to have to do these signs for individuals to believe that he is who he said that he was, and of course, who he was. And, and so the man is told to go back to his house, and the son would be healed. 
It was a little bit of a journey. When he got back, the servants met him. And in 53, he mentions the fact, well, at the end of 51, when the servant meets him, the servant said, your son lives, of course, with exclamation mark. It's exciting. Your son's alive. And when he asked about when that happened, he was told that it was yesterday. And of course, he knew in 53 that it was the same time that Jesus said to him, your son lives. And so what, what's the point here? In 54, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he'd come out of Judea into Galilee. So a second sign, what was this sign doing? This sign was revealing the fact that he was the Savior. He was the one that had power to save individuals. Here was a young boy that was going to die. And yet, instead, he lives. Why? A Savior can do that. It wasn't just a miracle. It was a revelation. It was a revealing of who Jesus Christ is. Look in John, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 9. We have the healing of the lame man. Remember, this is at the pool of Bethsaida. Bethesda, and this was the pool where the water had to move for individuals to go in and be healed. And this man was paralyzed 38 years. He couldn't get into the water. And Jesus tells him in verse 8, rise, take up your bed and walk. And really to understand why we're going to make the application that we're going to make here, uh, you'll need to read this whole chapter, which we're all going to do this month. But because he healed this individual on the Sabbath and because he claimed Look back, like say in verse 16, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But also in 18, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because not only he broke the Sabbath, but also he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus performed this miracle And he chose to do this on the Sabbath and then to respond to it in such a way that he was going to prove that he was equal with God. Now we're back to another thing we studied this morning. Jesus would do miracles to prove as a sign that he was deity. And this is an example of why that sign, that miracle was done. Okay, let's flip over to John, the sixth chapter. In John, the sixth chapter, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And and because we're running a little bit behind on time, you know, that's a beautiful story where one lunch feeds enough, uh, has enough meal provision there because of the miracle for 5,000. And from this, we see that Jesus is the one that can provide and sustain life. And I want you to see how that eventually works into a discussion of bread. And then finally, in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You can imagine they would be amazed that he could turn a lunch into enough to feed 5,000, and that was delicious food, no doubt. And he says, let me tell you something that's a lot more important than this. I'm the one that can sustain life. Bread sustains life. And he says, I'm the one that can sustain life spiritually. Do you believe in the one that can sustain life? You may look over at a spouse or a child and you may pull them close and you may say, I'll always take care of you. You can't make that promise. You don't sustain life. You may want to wish you can always take care of them. You may not even be alive tomorrow. They may not even be alive tomorrow. Why? Because you can sustain life? No, you can't sustain life. 
But even more important than that, you can't sustain somebody's spiritual life. You can't tell someone, your sins be forgiven, and they're saved. Who? Who can sustain life? Who can give someone the spiritual bread of life and make a difference in their eternity? I really believe that sometimes we try to be for other people what only God can be. And sometimes we try for other people to be for us what only God can be. Do you know the one that is the bread of life? The only one that can sustain life? And then we see another miracle. And if you will, look at the ninth chapter. And in the ninth chapter, we're seeing... Well, you know what? I skipped one. You may have noticed that. John, the sixth chapter, we have another miracle. It's the walking of water. And, and the walking on the water is a miracle that shows us again that he's the creator. He has power over nature. And for time's sake, let's go right on now to the ninth chapter. And we see the sixth miracle here. And it's the, uh, another healing. And this one is the healing of the blind man. And this ter- too stirs up quite a conversation because we have the old uh, dialogue of the issue of pain and suffering. If this man's blind from birth, was he the sinner? Was his parents the sinner? Who's done the wrong? And so that's a whole other discussion. But Jesus heals this individual and the emphasis is placed upon Jesus giving him sight. But think about the word light. And so going right to the point of why Jesus does this, look at verse 5. In John the ninth chapter and verse 5, And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's a miracle about giving a man sight. And what does Jesus do? He says, I want you to know I am the light. In other words, people are walking around like they're blind unless I'm their Savior, unless I'm their God, unless I can enlighten them, they're blind. The sign to give sight was a sign to help everyone see he can give everyone sight. We sometimes look at someone who's blind And I would suppose most of us would say that would probably bring a lot of difficulties to life. Maybe causing us to also think, I feel for them. I I have compassion toward them because of that. Do you do that when someone's spiritually blind? Do you realize most of the people in the world are spiritually blind? Probably most of the people you know are spiritually blind. Does that move you? Do you wish that they could know the one that could perform miracles and give sight physically to the blind and give spiritual healing to those who are spiritually blind? That's what these miracles are about. They're about reminding us that there is a powerful God behind all of these miracles. And then finally, the one that we even mentioned this morning, the seventh miracle is over in the 11th chapter and it's Lazarus being raised from the dead. And and do you remember... That when Lazarus was raised from the dead, he said back in 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And then when we look at 45 and see what was the result. In verse 45, this is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Look how 45 reads. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. Now, that's not all of our sermon tonight, but that's where we'll end tonight. But do you see that that summary there? What did they do? They came to Jesus, seeing the miracles. Lazarus is now alive. Lord, you better not have that, that stone rolled away. You said open the tomb. 
Lord, I hate to have to remind you of this. He's been dead four days. You probably don't want to do that. And yet Jesus takes and resurrects him. The Jews see that and they say, I now believe. Why? Because they have the proof that he has power over the grave. Tonight, do you believe in that one? Do you believe in the one that really can walk on water? He really can heal. He really can make provisions of bread for thousands and millions. He really can offer sight. But all those physical things are are just so tiny. They're, They're almost nothing for what He can really offer us. He can offer us eternal life. And all these signs were done according to John. They were recorded for us to believe so that we may live. Believing that He is the Christ, the Son of God. Would you be more impressed tonight if someone was raised from a physical death or if someone was saved spiritually? We all know that the greatest need is to be saved spiritually. Tonight, are you? Do you believe in the one that offers life? If we can help you in any way, If you're ready to come and be baptized into Christ or if you're ready to be restored, if you're simply discouraged and you need prayers, if you're totally lost and you just need to say, I need some help, I need some guidance. Listen, we don't have all the answers, but we serve a God who does. And He's given us His Word. And together, together, we can find Him. He's not far from any of us. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.